From the Raptors, the NCAA, and around the NBA, Toronto basketball fans, this is your home court with Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, and Josh Lewenberg on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back to home court. We've got one one hour under our belts, gentlemen. We got one more hour to go. As you heard there, Kevin Cottrell, NBA.com, a contributor, will join us at 2.15. We already kind of touched on what Masai did with the offseason. We know who they lost. We've mentioned it. Carol, Tucker, Joseph, um, Patterson. We know that we've got this young core kind of coming into their own and trying to take over for that. And before we kind of get into the NBA as a whole and kind of what happened in the offseason and everything like that, I kind of want to uh, also touch on Serge because we haven't really talked too much about him or Norm, but Norm we can save for a little bit later as well because we'll talk more Raptors uh, later on. But Serge, I find he's, when you look at his uh his career as a whole since coming into the league in what oh nine oh ten was his for, was his rookie season I believe with OKC. Um, I find in the last couple of years his offense has started to come into his own and the numbers actually back it up. He's shoot, he's getting a lot more touches, shooting it a lot more. His percentages, especially from the three point, which is what you know the NBA is going to sitting around that high thirty, low forty range over the last few years. And I find even the way too that we've noticed. Late when he made the when he was traded here um, last year, and now even in the preseason again, take a shot preseason caveat. Um, he's starting to read the offensive side of the floor a lot better and a lot more than what we've seen in his first few years with OKC and then his time with Orlando because he came into the league as a defensive minded player and was known for a defensive minded player. But now you start to see his offense sort of coming into his own. Yeah, and I think that's. While there's so much good stuff to say about Serge, I'm not going to start saying bad stuff, but my concern is that I still think that defensive intensity and also some rebounding is needed from him as well. I mean, I'm not saying he's fallen in love with the offense, but he has to be, with age, your physical ability is limited, but he still has to be a guy who can be a defensive help with this team as well as rebounding. I mean, he's shooting the ball well, but I think sometimes not every shot is the right shot. I don't think we need three-point shooting, and he's a good three-point shooter, but... We have to figure out how the, the fine balance. And that's right. what I'm kind of hoping is going to happen this season with Serge in terms of bringing that defense, helping with the rebounding, and, and finding the right shots. And so his, his numbers, sort before you comment, Josh, his numbers on blocks and rebounding after his first like five years with OKC have actually dropped yeah. from what they were. So the defensive side, to your point, Dwayne, he has dropped off. And like you, I'd like to see that come back up. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's changed a little bit as a player. He's evolved in a lot of ways in the sense that his offensive game is, is a lot more versatile. But the league has changed quite a bit, too, over the time in which he's been in the NBA. And now it's come to a point where I think, and I believe he thinks, that his best position is at the five. The problem is Jonas Valanciunas is there. Uh, the Raptors tried to move him during the offseason. They didn't move him, of course. And now he's in great shape. He's at a great camp, Valanciunas has. Uh, so there is hope that those two will be able to find some chemistry that they didn't necessarily have in a small sample last year. But that's the big question for Ibaka is even if he's at the four and he's being pulled out to the perimeter, which sort of negates his biggest strength as a defensive player, his rim protection, can he still find ways to make a big impact 
on this team. That, to me, is a massive question for the Raptors that is going to go a long way in determining how they do this season. I touched on it earlier. I have three factors that I've been talking about over the last week or so that I, I think are going to determine where this team ends up. We've talked a lot about two of them. One, the development of the young guys, and two is whether or not they're able to preserve Kyle Lowry. But that third factor is Sergi Baca and how he's able to fit in with this team, specifically with Lowry and DeRozan, because we didn't really see it last year. I, I think a lot of people forget how excited they were when the Raptors traded for Ibaka in February last year. He was seen as that... A prototypical power forward, the the type of guy that the Raptors haven't had in years. He was seen as that perfect complement, a low-maintenance, floor-stretching, defensive-minded guy to Lowry and DeRozan, two high-scoring, high-volume all-stars. But they make the trade. Lowry goes down with the injury almost immediately after. Those three players... We're on the floor together in three regular season right. games last year going into the playoffs. Just yep. three. And in the postseason, Lowry was never healthy. So we don't know what they're truly capable of together. Uh, when they made the trade, I thought, I think a lot of people figured that this could be the best trio in franchise history. Yep. Now we're going to get a chance to see what they're truly made of. They've had a training camp together. They'll have a full season together. How well do they complement each other? And ultimately, um, this team is going to go as they go. If Ibaka and and Lowry and DeRozan are at their best, as much as we, we talked about how important the young guys are, those three at their, are at their best. I, I think that's huge for the Raptors this season. All right, let's talk NBA. It was an absolute wild off season. We'll get into that with Kevin next segment. I want to actually kind of talk to you guys and get your thoughts on... Can I, can I, can I hold on for yeah, a second? Yeah. I, I mean, Jack got to talk about it, but can we talk about TJ Miles a little more? I think like... I, Pre- By all means, I'm down with that. You know, caveat, of course. Um, he Dang. shoots the ball, <laughs> but the way he's shooting the three ball f- for this Raptors it's team this season is fantastic. And I mean, I think his stroke, the confidence um, as a vet, and I think is, you know, CJ Miles in Indiana is not a guy that you were really looking at or noticing, obviously. Um, and I think people weren't entirely sure what the Raptors were going to get. But if he can shoot, you know, half, 30, 75% as good as we've seen in the preseason, he's going to open up the floor a lot for this team. Hey, there's a bit of a learning curve for shooters going to new teams because they've right. got to figure out where their looks are going to come from. Yeah. Every offense, every situation is different. But this is a good one for Miles in theory, whether he's play, whether he's starting with Lowry or DeRozan or not. As you mentioned, he's going to be closing games with them probably. He's going to be on the floor with them. They create so many looks just by the attention that they draw from the defense that uh, Miles is going to find himself open in the corners. We've seen a bunch here in the preseason, even with that second unit. I yep. think he's developed a pretty good chemistry with them as well. So going back to that learning curve, I, I think he struggled a little bit in the first couple games, was sort of feeling his way out a little bit. But C.J. Miles, over the last two preseason games, Shot. 46 points in 35 minutes. On 11 of 19 from beyond the arc. So while there are going to be peaks and valleys with him, which is the case with every shooter in the NBA, the three-point shot is is there's such a high variance to it that there are going to be nights where he has a, a hard time. But I think overall, when you look at what he's capable of and what he brings to the table, this is something that the Raptors haven't had in 
many years, maybe ever, in terms of a guy in a, in a very situational specialty role that can light it up the way that he can from beyond the arc. And I, I mentioned this on Twitter, and a lot of people came back at me with Del Curry and Jason Capono, and those were great shooters. Del Curry is one of the best pure shooters that right. I've ever seen. Right. In, in, in league history, he, he's right up there, but... Uh, his role was sort of limited when he was here, and certainly the league was a lot different. In terms of volume, very few players in the NBA get as many shots up from that range as C.J. Miles, and only two players last year hit more corner threes than Miles. Clay Thompson did, did, did they have and Eric Gordon. State? Yeah, not coincidentally, <laughs> uh, a guy on, on the Warriors, Clay, and a guy on the Rockets, Eric Gordon, and only one player, Kyle Korver, shot a higher percentage from Miles in the corner. So while it's still a concern that the Raptors don't have a, a ton of depth in terms of three-point shooting, they do have one guy in C.J. Miles, and I would argue a second guy in Kyle Lowry, who are absolutely elite in that category. Out of all the guys you mentioned in terms of past Raptors, Del Curry, Jason Capone, even those other guys, Eric Gordon and Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson is probably the only player out of all of them that I would give the edge over defensively on C.J. Miles. So I think yes. the fact that yeah. he can knock down the three ball, I'm not saying he's a lockdown stopper, but he's better defensively than the specialist shooters we've seen. So he's going to bring that on the other than the floor. And the other thing we're seeing with this offense in terms of how it's moving, when the ball's moving, it's set up to where guys, are, the ball moves, guys get open shots. And I mean, if you can, C.J. Miles can knock down an open shot in the NBA. That's not a question. So if he's going to get those kind of looks, it's going to be easier for him. The expectation is that Norman Powell starts the opener uh, on Thursday at small forward. C.J. Miles comes off the bench with that young group. You like that, Dwayne? Yeah. I mean, I think it's situational in terms of the matchups. I think if LeBron James coming to town, I don't think we're going to start with start LeBron, Le, uh, Norman Powell on LeBron James. I mean, not that anyone can really stop LeBron James, mm-hmm. but I think that you know, he's already said, CJ has said he's helping the young guys. Like, he's looking at it as a veteran guy to kind of help these guys and have the confidence in them to take those shots. And I think he stretches the floor for those guys. A guy like DeLon who likes to penetrate and dish, they're going to have a perfect relationship in there. Yeah, there's, there's pros and cons of having a young second group, but I think you're, you're concerned about maybe the lack of leadership when outside of CJ Miles with that unit. But I, I think one thing they really like, the Raptors do, is that those guys have had a lot of experience playing together yeah. in the summer and in the D-League. And then when you throw Miles in, he's sort of that calming factor that everyone sort of turns to. He's the guy that can sort of... Uh, direct traffic yep. a little bit and make sure that the guys are staying together, especially through adversity, and they'll see quite a bit of it uh, as a, a second unit in the NBA. Uh, I, I do think it, it's a pretty good fit. I, I think you can make a case for both Miles and Powell in the Agreed. starting lineup, but right. uh, the Raptors seem to like this look. It's worked over the last couple preseason games, so we'll see what happens here once the games start for real. Once again, you can catch the opener, as Josh mentioned, this Thursday. TSN TV will have it. The first 10:50 game will be next Saturday versus 76ers. Coverage, as of right now, starts at 7.30 p.m. We'll update you when the pregame will start. Keep it locked right here. NBA contributor Kevin Cottrell will join us. I apologize on mispronouncing it the first time. Kevin, keep it locked right here. TSN 10:50's home court. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewenberg here with you home court as we're getting set. The NBA tips off on Tuesday. We're, what, three days away now? 
17th. Yeah, we're three days away from the NBA tip-off. And it's what? It's Cavs and Celtics. And then the later game is OKC. Warriors Rockets. Isn't OKC? Oh no, that their home opener is OKC versus. Yes. Yeah, but yes. And to talk more NBA, we've got NBA.com contributor Kevin Cottrell with us. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time out of your Saturday ahead of uh, no a busy Tuesday evening. I know that you guys on TNT will have the show. So let's jump right into it. First off, I want to get into the wild, wild offseason that we saw. It wasn't just the West. It was a little bit in the East. You've actually had a chance to see the Celtics in person. You saw them, what was it, uh, Wednesday night? Wednesday. that they were yeah, in Charlotte? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Who do you think, when that trade went down, Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving, in your opinion, now that you've seen the Celtics play, who won that trade, in your opinion, so far? Uh, initially, I thought it was the Celtics that won acquiring that Kyrie Irving. And even after seeing him, I thought that thought was solidified. Um, he could do the same thing that Isaiah did in the fourth quarter, closing things out. We've seen it on a bigger stage. And I also think he's just a more efficient scorer. But I think he's he's going to make it a point to show that he is a team player, that he can play without the basketball. He did a great job of that. The preseason game that I saw him in surprisingly ended with 10 assists. Um, and I just think he's he's had the ability to grow. He's almost had like a master class playing with LeBron for the last three years. And so I think he'll be able to take everything that he's learned with his natural ability to Boston and Brad Stevens system. I think Celtics are, uh, had a building block for much longer than Cleveland would have. So, Kevin, I think um, obviously chemistry has been a concern with in terms of all the new pieces in Boston. And also, you look at Cleveland, there's been a lot of new bodies as well. Um, which team do you think is going to have a easier time with this whole chemistry situation of integrating new players in the system and getting them in line? Well, yeah, I think I think Boston just has the, uh, you know, they just have the built-in culture. Like, you know, Boston is just teams. You know, the only thing they care about is winning. But I think the Cavs is more of a fractured structure where uh, a group of guys that came together and two years ago they won for the first time, not only in a lot of their careers, but in the franchise's history. So when you do that, those guys take the success the way that they went about doing things. Well, now you bring in guys like Derrick Rose, who was the youngest MVP ever, Dwayne Wade, who, you know, nicknamed Flash and won three rings and it was a finals MVP. You take Tristan Thompson out of the starting lineup, you have a lot of question marks to ask. Isaiah Thomas will eventually come back. Now you have to take Derrick back out of the lineup. It's a lot of question marks for chemistry for the Cavs. J.R. Smith's already on the record as saying that he wasn't happy about Dwayne Wade getting a start nod and it hurt. Richard Jefferson, who was one of the main cogs as a veteran, is now out of the locker room, you know, with him being traded yesterday. So just to see these guys uh, come together over the 82-game season will be something interesting to watch. It's almost like when Miami first came together. If this, if this team starts off struggling, how will they react to it? Kevin, shifting to the West and some of the moves that were made out there, uh, obviously the Warriors are still the team to beat, that seems to be the consensus and with good reason, but you have Houston adding Chris Paul, OKC obviously bringing in um, Mello and Paul George, and then there's San Antonio in uh, classic Spurs fashion uh, standing pat more or less, and uh, going into the new season as sort of the forgotten team. Do, Do one of those teams really stand out to you as the second best team, or is there another dark horse that you're keeping an eye on? You know, it's going to be hard to see who can, you know, just 
tear away from the rest of the pack and become that second-best team because the first thing I look for is who can defend out of those. So, you know, you give Spurs the edge just off their system and the way that they defend. But for whatever reason, I just feel like they could finally take a step back. I, I'm just not sure if it's the Kawhi injury that has me nervous. Um, OKC has the most approved. They have the firepower. But, again, they seem like defensively somebody can just pick them apart. Um, so if I had to right now, I would I would lean a little towards OKC. Um, you have to watch out for Houston because Chris Paul will bring his leadership at the point on both sides of the ball. Obviously, we don't know how him and Harden will work out. But um, I, I still would say, I guess, right now, OKC, I would put as the second-best team uh, in the West. Um, it's still far between one and two. But ultimately, one of these teams have to decide when it's time to get a stop, who's willing to get that stop, whether it's the Warriors or, or whoever else that they're playing. Kev, uh, we talked about Whiteside versus Embiid earlier in the show uh, last <laughs> night, obviously. Um, do you trust the process? Do you think this Philly team has enough talent and has enough resolve to make the playoffs this season? You know, something I was looking at last night, uh, we, we were uh, doing our show last night, and if you take the process and everything away, they added J.J. Redick, right? And a lot of people will criticize the contract that he got. J.J. Redick went 12 or 14 from three this preseason, which is kind of like, whoa. Right, so it's almost like if if the process is healthy, if Joel Embiid is healthy, and Ben Simmons is, those guys are coming along, and they have a guy like JJ that can stretch the floor and allow those guys who aren't the greatest shooters, you know, Ben Simmons isn't the greatest shooter in the world, but if you allow these guys to have this space to really create and operate, I think in a in a down year for the East, I think the Sixers have an opportunity to challenge for that seventh eighth seed. Outside of some of these big moves that we've now spent months. Uh, in some cases, talking about Kyrie, Isaiah, uh, Mello, and, and Paul George. Uh, is there an under-the-radar signing or acquisition that you look at and say, this guy can, can make uh, a big impact or the biggest impact on his new team? I still think the most underrated uh, acquisition was Derrick Rose, probably because it was latest in the summer. Um, but the way Derrick's looked, I mean, he can really allow LeBron to take a break. He's not the ISO player that Kyrie is. He's an explosive player that wants to live in the paint and create for others or finish at the rim. So if you think about it, in an essence, he's almost like mini LeBron. At the height of his career, he was very much like mini LeBron. But that really allows LeBron to take a break, whereas Kyrie, it was like, you know, everybody's kind of standing there, and I really know what's going on. It's 18 dribbles in a possession. I think if Derek honestly can come along and, and just be this impactful player, whether he's starting or not, at the end of games, he can really create problems for the opposing team. Kev, when you look at the East, and no one's really talked about them much in this offseason, they haven't really made any big splashes, but let's go to Waiters Island in Miami. What mm-hmm. are you expecting from them? Are they going to be a true playoff contender and not sort of slide in or slide out much like what we saw last year when they had a season that no one really expected them to have? You know, I, they kind of remind me of Portland two years ago when Portland took off and, and they made that great year. And the next year they came back and everybody had expectations. And then they kind of took a slide. Miami kind of has that, like, you know, which team are they? The first 41 games, oh, they struggled. You know, they, they were one of the worst teams in the league. And then the last 41, they were like second or third best in the entire NBA. So you're not really sure which team will show up. But now they're going to have expectations. It's a down year in the East, you know, the whole Waiters Island talk. They didn't do much to make a splash in the offseason, so it's pretty much the same group. So continuity should be there, motivation should be there. But I I would warn people to kind of temper expectations with, with Miami um, because I'm not so sure if this team is really legit 
for lack of better words. I'm just not sure about Miami. Uh, Kev, Toronto guy, um, Andrew Wiggins just signed a, a big extension to actually make him the highest-paid Canadian athlete, period. Um, do you think he has another level? Do you think he's going to evolve into the number one pick that everyone thought he's going to be, or is this kind of like who he is? You know, I really think so. His shot's there. His aggressiveness on offense is there, even though he has a quiet demeanor. For Andrew, I think it's just he needs to just take his defense to the next level. When he first came into the league, he talked about wanting to be defensive player of the year. He has the measurables. He has the athleticism. For this team to be good, they have to be able to defend. And Andrew Wiggins can wake up and, and naturally score 25 a night just off natural ability alone. But if he's allowing the other player to get 25, then it's a wash. So I believe Wiggins can he can definitely live up to that. Um, he's been doing great. I think he's been on a great uptick throughout his career. But his defense just has to go up to the next level. And I think people will see what, it, you know, what made people say he was the consensus number one. Kevin, thank you so much for taking some time. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. And happy birthday, Megan. (laughs) Thanks, Kevin. (laughs) Once again, NBA.com contributor and NBA digital senior researcher, Kevin Cottrell, joining us. You can catch him on Twitter if you want to. Go, he's really good at going back and forth on Twitter at KCJ underscore Swish. Anything, he's a Chicago guy, much like me. We're Bulls fans, so don't bother us this season. It's going to be a rough one. But we've got more to talk about. We'll talk a little protest, but of course, we will wrap everything up when it comes predictions later on in the show. Because, of course, we know Josh loves preseason predictions. Keep it locked right here, TSN 1050's Home Court. This is Home Court on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome back to Home Court. Greg here on TSN 1050. Josh Lundberg, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak. And throughout the offseason, not just basketball, not just football, not just baseball, every sport has somewhat been touched by the discussion of player protests. And Jerome JYD, the junkyard dog, Williams, uh, joined Scott MacArthur earlier this week. Let's hear what he had to say and some audio from his thoughts on player protests. It's very important. They're giving a voice uh, to the to the voiceless, and that's what I think is is being uh, mistaken for some of their uh, you know their social activism. It's not that they are in any way trying to disrespect uh, the flag or American troops or the honor that that has been bestowed upon people who've lost their lives or loved ones who have gone to war. It is uh, the injustice that they see towards um, the minority race that has gone pretty much undetected for you know years upon years upon years and and to the point now that it's pretty much being thrown back at us like you know that's over with is in the past and that's just history now and it's and that's not the case because that same history has put uh minorities at a disadvantage thoughts from jyd and then as well, too, Josh, you were obviously at Raptors Media Day. We've seen some of the stories and the coverage that came out, not only just from Raptors Media Day, but the NBA teams as a whole and media days and players that had you know, their thoughts to say about it. We've heard multiple times from multiple different NFL players and their thoughts on the protests and why they're doing it, what have you. Um, Bruce Arthur had a really good article and his conversation with DeMar DeRozan on Media Day about DeMar's experiences with, you know, police and injustices and whatnot and what have you. Your guys' thoughts on what we've seen so far? We saw a bit of it at the end 
of last season um, and throughout last season with, you know, teams linking arms. We saw the Raptors during the preseason linking arms and taking their way to protest because as we know in the NBA, there is a rule that you have to be present and standing for the for for the national anthems, whether it's the Canadian or the American, you have to be there, or you are fined. From what I understand of the rule, yeah, but but they're, they're finding ways. The players are, and, and the league is to make their voice heard, and that's what I think a lot of people, myself included, have come to respect about the NBA. They're a league that does it as well as any of the other ones in terms of um, being progressive and and making sure that their voices collectively are heard uh the raptors uh like just about every team in the nba dedicated time during media day where basketball essentially took a backseat to something much bigger to speaking out on social injustice and these issues that are now crossing over from the political world into professional sports and i think that's important especially listening to all these different perspectives which was really interesting for me um demar Derozan having grown up in, in compton and some of the things that he's seen and lived through Dwayne casey and his experiences and some of the things he's seen and lived through masai ujiri these are all very different backgrounds very different perspectives all addressing the same topic uh and and that's important and we, we've talked about this now for years uh while Colin Kaepernick may have started the conversation uh, with his anthem protest. I think the NBA has really taken the baton. And with all due respect to Kaepernick, who, who sort of limited in terms of his star power, the NBA can do a lot more with the conversation. LeBron James can do a lot more with the conversation just based on how powerful his brand is. And because LeBron has spoken up, all of a sudden... Others are following in right. his lead. I'm not sure that Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan, with all due respect to them, I'm not sure that they come out and speak as thoroughly and as honestly, candidly as they did if LeBron uh, didn't sort of set the tone in, in that regard. So um, I, I tip my hat to the NBA for the way that they've um, addressed the situation. And um, whether you agree or, or disagree with all the different things that are being said. I think it's important. I, I hate the stick to sports stuff. I think it's important for everybody, especially if you have a platform right. to fight for the things that you believe in. You can't stick to sports when the president brings sports into the politician's world. Or you can't, or you can't stick to sports when the players make these right. comments because if we're profiling sports and athletes are saying this, you have to report it. You have to acknowledge it. Exactly. I'm, I'm kind of two minds with the NBA because I think, obviously, I agree with you, Josh, they've been the most progressive league in terms of, comes of issues and equalities and one as well. But then also it's kind of weird when you know Silver reiterates the rule saying that no one can make any kind of statement during the anthem because it's like we're not we don't want any demonstrations and I think you know you look at a guy like Colin Kaepernick who did what he did and is now unemployed because of the, of the stance he took I'm not trying to say players should go out there and do radical things whatever I think my most important thing is that consistency it's right. something that coach Casey has said too and if you remember last year in the preseason the Raptors actually had the first NBA game after yeah. I think it was the a initial shooting. protest right and they, they locked arms and that was kind of what set the tone but I think, you know, I think it's great that these acknowledge, acknowledgments are made, but, like, what is happening as well? Like, what's happening beyond locking arms? Because after guys lock arms, maybe they walk away, and then it's not an issue. What are you doing? Yeah, and I think I say that, you know, in an era where you saw guys like Muhammad Ali who did sit stuff and James Brown and Bill Russell who actually did more than just make a statement. They kind of walked the walk and talked the talk. And now you're seeing a lot of stuff where, you know, and Josh and I talked about this before the show, where Trump has come in and— 
is he taking away the issue now? Because you saw after, obviously, with the Trump and Curry and then LeBron's response, and you saw a number of NBA players tweet and make comments. But did Trump start that conversation or was it the issue starting that conversation? Right. And I think he's become this lightning rod of conversation very easily so because of who he is. But... You know, you don't want him. You don't. You don't want the the anti-Trump sentiment to tr- to to trump. No pun intended. The social issues. Right, and, right. and, and this is where we're losing the the, the we're being diverted. Diverted. But yeah, the conversation from, from changed to, from the actual issues for what Kaepernick right. originally st- kneeled for. Excuse me. Versus the the I can't even call him by his name. Forty. I like to call him forty-five. Um, he turns and now has made it about the anthem and it's a protest to the anthem and disrespect to the military well, more and whatnot. Than that, it's about and that's him. not even yeah. what it was. More than that, it's yeah. about him now. Yeah. I mean, the story this week, even from people that showed up to Raptors practice to ask questions of Dwayne Casey and, and Masai Ujiri uh, and some of the players about this report that they're among the teams that aren't staying at Trump hotels. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, it, it was an interesting story, uh, an interesting report, but that's not where this discussion should be headed about no. whether or not the teams are staying at the, the president's hotels. We, we know what the issue is we know what the discussion should be and somehow it's morphed into something that it it shouldn't it wasn't yeah and also to you we got to give a shout out to the WNBA because they're another much like the NBA who took a front row seat to start trying to have the conversation keep going and the Sparks who you know they made the decision through the entire WNBA finals to actually stay in the locker room for the anthem. They were not on the floor during the anthem for every single game of the WNBA finals. So they made their stance very prevalent and very known. But that that's not even just a testament to the to the NBA because they fall under the NBA umbrella. That says a lot about basketball that somehow they're able to take the conversation from what it should be and what the original conversation was and continue to make that the front row front you know front vision for everybody to keep talking about instead of what we see 45 try to make it about when it really was never well, about that i have a question i mean obviously i, I was aware of what was happening in the WNBA finals but i wasn't aware these protests were happening yes. which shows the importance of the media attention WNBA. were they fine for the for staying in the locker room because i remember last year when they had to, protests to my knowledge i do not believe they were fined because the year before when the links were making statements yep um they were fine and then eventually later was rescinded but kind of like if they weren't fine that falls in line with what's happened with the nba so like Where's the consistency? To, to my knowledge, uh, President Lisa Borders of the WNBA supported and agreed with the statement that the Sparks put out before game one that they would not be out on the floor for the uh, anthems. She supported them and actually reiterated the statement. So I do not believe they were fined. I think there was a conversation before. And and like the NBA set the precedent last year, they even had, like, when you saw, like, as you mentioned, the links and their protests, that was all with, you know, the the police brutality killings that were going on in the states and they had the shirts the links were wearing the shirts that was one of the issues but you look at what basketball has been able to do and then you look at what you know unfortunately has been going on in the nfl which is like an entirely another conversation for another day but you've got two professional platforms and one is doing it in such a way that no one's having issues with almost and the other is you know a complete firestorm it it's it actually boggles my mind that it's so completely different on two ends of the spectrum 
Well, it's going to be interesting because we're about to see what's going to happen, if anything is going to happen with them. I mean, the NFL season has been underway, and like Colin Kaepernick set the tone. Um, but, you know, we saw what JT Brown did with the Lightning and, and the NHL. So yep. are there going to be statements in the NBA? I, I kind of think there won't be. I don't statements. think there will be either. Um, but remains to be seen. It will be interesting, and we will keep our eye on it. Once again, the Raptors will tip off their season on Thursday, taking on the Chicago Bills. You can catch it on TSN TV, and at 7.30 on October 21st, next Saturday, TSN 1050 will have the first home game for the Raptors on the radio, I mean it by that, um, versus the 76ers. Keep it locked. We've got more right here on Home Court on TSN 1050. This is Home Court. On TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. I wonder why. <laughs> well, Happy birthday, Megan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate the love to the control room. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, before we, I know, Josh, your favorite thing to do when, you know, there's 82 games ahead of us <laughs> is to do predictions. I love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it off for a second because we haven't had a chance to talk about him. Norman Powell, he wasn't in our poll. I'll also update the poll as well, too. You can still, you still have an hour to vote at TSN 1050. DeLon is still uh, leading the way with 43% of the votes, and OG has 32%, Fred 14%, and Jakob with 11%. You can make a justification for any one of those guys having the biggest impact this season. But Norman Powell, not on that list, along with Pascal Siakam, because of the impact he's had in the previous two seasons. And I'm very interested, as you mentioned, he's going to start as of right now. That's what we've heard. That's what we've been told. He will start at that three spot, which is very, in my opinion, interesting, because when you look at who he's going to potentially be guarding, you've got, you know, those big threes, Kevin Durant, potentially Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, He's undersized, but he's proven himself before that he can find whatever he needs to find, that fire within him of the, you know, straight-faced assassin, as I like to call him sometimes, that he he holds his own. But it'll be interesting to see if he can do it consistently when he's getting more minutes, consistent minutes, and consistent playing time. It's one thing to do it here and there yes. in pockets. It's another thing to do it for potentially 82 games plus a series or two or three or four series in the NBA playoffs as well. Well, that's just it. He's had success as a starter in small sample sizes here and there when Damari Carroll has been hurt or in the playoffs when that decision made by Dwayne Casey to insert Powell into the starting lineup ultimately turned that first-round series in favor of the Raptors after that brutal loss to the Bucks in Game 3. Uh, so he has had some success and some chemistry with DeRozan and, and Lowry. What he does by it, being able to put the ball on the floor and make plays is he takes pressure off of those uh, two all-star guards. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to sustain that. Um, and I think one of the reasons why the Raptors like him with that group is when he's played with the second unit in the past, he sort of gets... The, the tunnel vision where yeah. he's just trying to attack and attack and attack. Right. And he feels that because he's the leader of this young group, he's got to do more than he probably should. Whereas when he's playing with the starters, 
He's not going to look off Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan because you know what's going to happen if he does. So it does force him to be a little bit more of a a playmaker. And then again, I think the Raptors like the fit of C.J. Miles with that younger group. Norman Powell, $42 million man now. Great for him. He signs that contract, that extension a couple weeks ago. Gets that long-term security I'm surprised he signed the deal. It's great for the Raptors. It's It's Um, team-friendly. It gives him that long-term security, which players uh, want, especially a guy like Powell, a former second-round pick, a guy who made a million million and a half dollars combined in his first two NBA seasons. But you wonder, especially if he does end up breaking out, as a lot of people expect him to this year, how much could he have made as a restricted free agent next summer? I think the worst-case scenario where maybe there's an injury maybe he doesn't have that great of a season this is still a manageable movable deal that'll come out somewhere two and a half million dollars in that range above what the mid-level exception is the best case scenario is we look at this in a year or two as one of the biggest bargain contracts in the NBA so definitely a win for the Raptors and Good for Norm for getting paid. I think it's a, I think it's automatically going to be the biggest bargain contract because there's always a team like Brooklyn who will overpay for someone. And the Raptors <laughs> would have had to match because they couldn't afford to let a guy like Norm go. Um, but you're right. I think he didn't make a lot of money in second-round pick. He probably wanted the security. He wants to be with this franchise. He's going to get the opportunity. And I think you made a really good point, Josh, in terms of his ability on the floor. And we saw that sometimes where he was trying to do a little too much. He was forcing a little much with that unit. And... Finding that middle ground is going to be the best place to be with the starters. And, I mean, yeah, he's going to face tougher matchups with some of the big guys, but they're also going to have to cover him. Um, but I think what he brings is that that drive, that heart, that intensity, and all things Toronto fans love about athletes. Um, he's, going to, he's a fighter, and he's going to be there for this team. So he's going to be key to this team. How does he blossom with the first unit or second unit? Where does he find that role? We're going to have the season to find out, but we know when called upon, he can do good things. All right, prediction time. All right, here we go. Josh was ready. Josh was on the ball quicker than I was there. All right, you want to do Raptors first, or do you want to do NBA first? Because I got got different ways I can go. Let's do Raptors. All right. Win total, I'm going to say... I'm going to say 48 wins. Okay. I, I think... I'm, I'm I, writing this down so at the end, la- you're not final, gonna remember. final you're show. Not gonna remember. Well, I'm going to hold on to the paper so when oh, final oh. show, I've got it. Okay. There's not a, we can save the clip. It, there's not as much room. <laughs> there's not as much room for error this year, I don't think, with the Raptors because they've lost some veteran depth. So they are relying on the young guys who are a bit of a wild card at this point. So I do think there's a scenario where maybe a player gets hurt. Maybe those young guys don't come along so quickly, and all of a sudden you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 45 wins. And and there is a scenario where those guys do break through and maybe Ibaka really gels with Lowry and DeRozan, who are both healthy and having all-star seasons. And all of a sudden, you're probably looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of where the Raptors have finished the last few years, either 51 wins like we saw last season, or maybe even upwards of 56, as we saw two years ago. So to be safe, I'll say 48. I think clearly the Raptors right now are the third best team in the East behind Cleveland and Boston, but I mean that's not set in stone. Uh, the Celtics are working in new guys. They've lost a lot of defense with Crowder gone mm-hmm. and Bradley gone. The Cavs are going to be without Isaiah Thomas for a chunk of the season, so the Raptors are going to have an opportunity here to crack through that. I think ultimately come playoff time, it's going to be really tough to get past those two teams if healthy. So my prediction for the Raptors 48 wins, third in the East, and I'll say a second round exit. Not to say Not they bad. can't do better than that. I'm going to focus on the regular season because um, they are just two distinctly different seasons for this franchise. Um, I feel that the Raptors are going to finish second Eastern Conference. 
I think this is a we've seen last year. Fire take. Who, who, do, they, no. who do they leapfrog? Uh, Boston. Okay. Boston. For these two teams, Boston and Cleveland, as we saw even last year. I mean, the Raptors finished two games out of first place last year. Um, Boston is trying to get it together. Mm-hmm. They've got a ton of new pieces. They lost some of the defense. They've got a great coach. They've got great players. There's a lot of new players they got to get in the system. I'm not saying they're going to suck, but I think they're going to figure it out. And they're also going to figure it out in time for the playoffs because that's what they're gearing for. Right. As are the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think. But I think the Cleveland Cavaliers have, have more depth that they're going to make it work in. They could be this. But the Raptors have been a solid regular season team. The core is still mostly intact. Chemistry is not going to be an issue for these other two teams. And Kyle and DeMar have proven they can get there throughout the regular season for the past three or four years. No question. So I think regular season, they're going to be solid. I think the new strategies, new offenses, are they going to carry over the playoffs? Are they going to go back to relying on what they are used to know? And that's going to be the question mark. I don't think Washington is ready. They don't have the depth. I think Milwaukee's got an injury with Jabari Parker that they got to deal with, whatever. So I don't think they're going to leapfrog those teams in that regard. I like the Raps in regular season. That's all I'm going to say. Rookie of the year for the Rookie. NBA? Who you got? Uh, it's tough because there's so much talent. Like, there's so many good guys here. Uh, I'm gonna a go lot of point of, guards. I'm going to go with a flyer. I'm going to say Ben Simmons, a guy who okay. technically didn't come out in this draft class. Yep. But um, his playmaking ability we've seen so far has been phenomenal. He's playing with a lot of guys like J.J. Redick, who Kev mentioned is going to knock down the shot. Uh, Joel Embiid, depending if he's there. Stavskis is there. There's other guys who can score the ball. He's got the link that I think you can still not afford to really truly play off him. But I think he can do it. I think Fultz and Simmons might take some votes Away from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Lonzo. If for no other reason <laughs> than volume. He's going to yeah. get the shots. He's going to score. Uh, a dark horse maybe is Dennis Smith, who I really like yeah. in Dallas. And there's an opportunity for him there as well. And this year's Norman Powell might be a former Utah teammate of one DeLon Wright and Jakob Pertl. Kyle Kuzma in, in yeah. L.A. He's with the Lakers as well. He might take some votes away yeah, from, from Lonzo. Lonzo. He's looked great. Uh, MVP. The question is, though, is, that, is the rookie voting going to change at all? I mean, like, MVPs you mentioned is like, it's not just what you do. It's also basically You've got to be on a winning win. team. You, I don't think it matters much for the rookies unless you're really contributing to a winning team. Like, if Philadelphia well, ends up it. making the playoffs, then, yeah, maybe you do consider some. I'm not saying Brogdon should have got MV, uh, rookie of the year last year, but, you know, Sarge had a good year. Yeah. Yep. So it's like, did, did, the, did his contribution That's to a tiebreaker, in my opinion. If it's okay. close, then Fair. you go with the winning Fair. team. MVP? MVP. Giannis Antetokounmpo. I, I think mind, um, I don't mind it. Uh, you look at what Westbrook did from a statistical uh, stature last year and being the only guy on the team. I think Giannis has players you can play with, but I think his ceiling continues to grow and grow in the numbers and stuff he can do. Uh, and he's really going to drive that team. And I think they could inch out of the you know forty plus you know maybe in forties maybe maybe as high as forty seven wins to get that recognition. I would have had a really tough time not giving MVP to. Russ last year because of how otherworldly he was. But if it wasn't for Russ last year, my MVP was not James Harden. My MVP last year, at least second MVP last year, would have been Kawhi Leonard. And with Westbrook now having to share the ball with Melo and PG, I'm going Kawhi in San Antonio. Again, I think the Spurs Even are going to be... with the injury? I think the Spurs yeah. are going to be sneaky good, and I think Kawhi is going to be at the front of that. He's the lone all-star on what could be the second-best team in the West. You heard the predictions right here. Keep it locked. We've got more coverage of the Leafs coming up at 5 p.m. Coverage starts as they take on the Canadians. And do remember, next Saturday... Saturday, the Raptors and the Sixers, 7 p.m. pregame coverage starts right here on TSN 1050 for Josh Lundberg, Dwayne Watson, and everyone behind the scenes that you don't see. I'm Meg McPeak. We will see you, ladies and gentlemen, next week. And don't forget to protect home court.